I just pray that you would take your word right now and just minister to our hearts and that you would bless this time in the study of your word. And so we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we move into Hosea chapter 4, we read, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. That's such a powerful verse there. And as we move into this chapter, we see that the uh, really the private life of the prophet Hosea. Remember, as we introduced the prophet last time, we don't know a whole lot about him. He's the son of Berai. And he is ministering to the house of Israel. He's going to have some things to say about Judah, but his primary ministry is to the house of Israel. Jeroboam II has been reigning. Uh, The nation is going through a time, really, of prosperity and uh, economically and even militarily. They're strong. And externally, things seem to be okay, but we're going to see the condition of the nation in these chapters and particularly, as we've already seen in chapter 4, the, not only the, the, what was going on, there's violence, there's immorality. We really get a picture of the spiritual uh, happenings, the spiritual atmosphere, what has taken place. And here in verse 1, it says that there's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no knowledge of his word. There's no truth or mercy. Um, and we are going to see that very clearly as we go through this. So the emphasis now, in the first three chapters, we saw the person of Hosea as God told him to take a wife of harlotry, and he did. And he had children, and we know at least two of those children that he had uh, were out of harlotry, that she would commit uh, spiritual harlotry and adultery. And as we see that Hosea is told to, to do this very difficult thing, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the private life of the uh, prophet here, in taking a wife of harlotry, his, his heart is broken. And he's feeling the things that are in the heart of God that is looking at a nation that has committed spiritual adultery and spiritual harlotry. And I think there's such an important principle in this as we look at this. We saw it in Isaiah. We saw it in Jeremiah. Uh, We saw it with Ezekiel. We're even going to see it this Sunday as we finish chapter 23. Chapter 23, we see Jesus is going to weep over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Uh, But you are not willing to come. And as the Lord says, I I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers uh, uh, her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. And now your house is left to you desolate and you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will talk about that and what Jesus meant by that. Uh, Prophetic is what it is. Uh, And we know that Jesus, he's weeping over Jerusalem because he knows that their house is going to be left to them desolate. We've talked about that, that in 70 AD, Rome would come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and, and, and destroy the whole city, and it would be plowed under by the Romans, uh, left desolate, and the Jews would be taken off into captivity, 100,000 to Rome, scattered throughout the nations. But in that, we see it's a prelude to really what we're going to be looking at in all of it discourse. But Jesus is weeping over the fact that destruction was going to come. We saw that with Isaiah. He would weep with the message 
of judgment that would come to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah during his, his ministry. Later, Jeremiah, he was known as the weeping prophet. Ezekiel was brokenhearted, seeing these visions of the corruptness of the religious leaders and the civil leaders. And even Daniel, when you look at Daniel, who's ministering uh, during the time of the captivity, he's in Babylon. He was in the first deportation taken in 605 B.C. to Babylon, along as, the, as well as the choice men of Judah. And we know that Daniel, as he's there ministering to Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the most powerful king that uh, was on the scene, he was one that was a hothead, uh, very prideful, but yet Daniel ministered in integrity. And when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, uh, it was a dream that would speak of, as Daniel interpreted the dream, that you're going to be humbled, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to go down. You're going to go insane for seven years. You're going to be like a wild bird that claws at the ground and having feathers. And, and you can read all of that. But Daniel didn't say, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, I'm so glad this is going to happen to you because you took me away from my home when I was just 17, 18 years old, never to see my homeland again, never to see my parents again, never to marry, never have a family. You deserve this. I'm glad this is happening. And when you go insane, I'm going to take advantage of it and I'm going to you know, try to to take over the kingdom or have somebody else take over the kingdom. There was none of that in Daniel. Daniel said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, as he's, he understood the dream and was going to interpret it to him, I wouldn't even wish this on your enemies. I wish this wasn't a, of you, Nebuchadnezzar, because it's bad news and you're going to go insane. And so Daniel, that, that he had a perspective of that, that chastening of the Lord to Nebuchadnezzar, that, that it's going to be hard and difficult, and he didn't boast in it. I think there's a very important lesson, and even as Hosea shows us, Hosea, you're going to understand the heart of God, how his heart is broken, that Israel, the house of Israel, has gone off in a spiritual uh, harlotry and adultery. And then you're going to give a very difficult message of judgment's going to come, and that is chapters 4 to the end of the book, chapter 14. And I think it's important for us that as we understand the gospel message that there is bad news, that we're all sinners, we're guilty of sin, and if you don't come to Christ, there is eternal separation from God, that hell is real, the lake of fire, the great white throne judgment, that's all part of it, but we wouldn't just be, and we do know that there's a time coming when judgment's going to come in a Christ-rejected world. And as we see these things around us, as we're getting closer to uh, the return of the Lord, that we wouldn't just kind of, all right, Lord, I can't wait till you come and blast these people and judge these people and, and all of this. But we would weep that as the people around us that we know that are linked to us in our lives, that we have relationships with, that, that are in our families or work alongside of us or live next to us as neighbors or old friends, that we would weep because they don't have Christ. And there's eternal consequences. And even in his own life, they're walking in darkness and blindness in deception and in bondage to sin. And it would cause our hearts to be broken. So we want to, to have a sensitive heart towards people. So as we read this verse, verse here, we know that um, 
you know, that uh, the ch we see the Lord confirms that they have no truth, no knowledge of him. And notice that there's no mercy in the land. Now, these three things are uh, connected here with uh, and linked together. When there is no knowledge of God, then there is no truth. Uh, man begins to make up his own truth. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that this Bible here from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, that this is absolute truth. This is God-breathed, God-inspired, put to the page for us, and we can trust it as truth. And always be careful when there's somebody that's behind the pulpit that is saying, well, the Bible contains truth. And no, the Bible doesn't just contain truth. The Bible is truth. And so you want to be careful of those who come along and say, well, we don't agree with everything in the Bible, or not all the Bible is truth, or it's outdated, or it's just you know, out of touch with culture, or uh, what has happened today. Things have changed, and we need to change the Bible. No, none of that. This is God's word, even as Jesus said, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the prophet Isaiah would say that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the, the word of the God... Uh, will last forever, will endure forever. And we can trust it as his truth. And we know that even Paul, when he was writing in Romans chapter 1, he would say that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to the image made like corruptible man, going into depravity. And that's what we're seeing here. Because when there is no knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of what is absolute truth. When there is no truth, there is no mercy. And what is being said, that they had the look out for me mentality. Um, they would define what was right in their own eyes. That was the day of the judges. That's the whole theme of the book of Judges, as they went after that which was false and followed those false gods. They were very consumed with self. We're going to see that. And there was no room for God at all. Um, and so God, we see his grace really here, because spiritually the nation was very sick. And in rebellion against the Lord and caught up in the Baals and Astaroth, those false gods. And yet God is still speaking to them. And he could have just sent judgment at this time. But the thing is, is that he is continuing to reach out to them, desiring for them to, to come to him, to turn to him. So, you know, we need to uh, remember the heart of Hosea speaking this is showing the heart of God his mercy and still speaking to the nation. Yes, they would go off into captivity because of their refusal to acknowledge the Lord and turn back to the Lord. But let's continue in verse 2. By swearing and lying, this is what was going on. Killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. So, you know, progression continues. There is no control. There's no restraint. It's really a description of what we are seeing in our own country. One of the big topics of today is how violence is increasing in our cities. And we see the videos, you know, a lot of video cameras out there, you know, security cameras uh, out on the streets or people taking uh, videos on their, their phones and, and how we see it just about every week, almost daily, this robbery, this beating in one of the major cities. And um, the injustice and 
all that that's taken place is very much of a concern with you know uh, stealing and committing adultery uh, the atmosphere the spiritual atmosphere uh, that we see in our nation it just continues to plunge deeper and deeper into sin and darkness and then we read in verse 3 therefore the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air even the fish of the sea will be taken away now let no man contend or rebuke another for your people are like those who contend with the priests therefore you shall stumble in the day and the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night and i will destroy your mother so very harsh words here the land's going to mourn, probably speaking about drought that was taking place. Kind of interesting, because one of the questions that was asked to me on the radio the other day was uh, on the live uh, call-in show, was we hear a lot about climate change and drought that's taking place. Uh, and the, um, the answer to it is man-made climate change. Well, is it man-made or is the Lord using that to bring chastening to our nation? And he can do that. And we see that in the book of Judges. During the days of the Judges, he used drought. Uh, he made that covenant with them, remember, there uh, as they would go into the land with Moses and said that if you follow after me, I'm going to bless you and I'll send the rains and you'll have blessing in the land and produce food and it, things will be well with you and your family and I'll protect you from your enemies. If you forsake me, then this is what's going to happen. There's going to be locusts and there's going to be drought and you're going to be taken into captivity by your enemies. And so that's a covenant with God made with the house of Israel or with the children of Israel. And it pertained to them. And we know that that was one of the things that, that is brought up as you go through the major prophets and the minor prophets. Remember the covenant that God made with you. And you've broken that covenant. You've forsaken the Lord. So there was drought that would come and locust infestation and things like that. But the Lord, keep in mind this, that if, you know, I don't know the sovereignty of God. But he can use those things, and whatever he uses, whether it's drought or, or weather or whether whatever the case might be, that he wants to save a nation. And I believe he wants to save this nation. And we need to be in prayer. And we need to pray for a spiritual awakening because we are headed down this regression of spiritually and morally in our own nation and what it leads to as he says that you will just waste away everyone who dwells there will waste away the beasts of the fields the birds of the air we're seeing that concern you know and and even as it's amos that says there's famine in the land famine of the word of god that's what we're seeing even today and we need to be in prayer so here as he is speaking that there is no godly justice that was available. The people were rebellious, and so were the priests and the prophets, many false prophets in the land. The true prophets were being persecuted. We continue to read in verse 6, the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Isn't that interesting? I have that underlined in my Bible, because you've rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me, because you've forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. So what is being said here is I'm holding the religious leaders responsible in the people's lack of knowledge. They had failed to teach and to communicate the law of God to the people. And the idea of forgetting is not forgetting, but I'm going to set them aside. 
Um, they're not interested. The whole idea is you refuse to turn to me, and I'm not going to bless sin. And that's what the whole idea of forgetting your children is. not like the Lord has said, forget you, and he's still not going to show mercy or desire for them to turn back. But I can't bless this. I'm not going to bless it. You have walked away. And, and because of, there is no knowledge in the land, it's interesting that people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. And, of course, we see that today, that there is a rejection of knowledge in the land, isn't there, of God's knowledge and recognizing that there is a God and that his word is true for us. And it's not good as we see that. We know that Paul, some of the last words of Paul as he was speaking uh, to Timothy as right before he is uh, executed by Caesar Nero. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, The time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll turn their ears away from the truth to be turned aside to fables, so you be watchful in all things. So, Timothy, what you do is you preach the word. And I believe that we're in those days where there is uh, a lot of uh, not only people that aren't Christians, but Christians even that don't endure sound doctrine. They're, people are going after their own values, their own understanding, having itchy ears, heaping up from themselves teachers, turning away from the truth and being turned aside to fables. And that's why we must continue in the scriptures. That's what Paul had told Timothy in chapter 3 of that epistle, that Timothy is going to be perilous times. There's going to be counterfeits. Evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. That, uh, that uh, Know that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and you must continue in the scriptures. And that's what we must do in the day in which we are in. So it, it applies to us. Jesus would say, abide in my word, abide in my word. And as you abide in his word, you're going to walk in obedience. You're going to have a fullness of joy. We see that in John's gospel. And it's going to be us being able to, to navigate through the darkness and the deception. And we don't have to get caught up in that. We want to be in the word of God and we need to have sound doctrine. And we need to have the word of God being worked out in our lives as well. But in verse 7, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. Isn't that interesting? I will change their glory into shame is what he says. And what can happen is that as they felt like they, they were being blessed as a nation, for some reason it seemed to move them away from the Lord. That the more you increase, things may be well outwardly. Things may look good economically. Militarily you're strong. But the more you're sinning against me, and I'll change your glory to shame. And it is true with us today that as a nation founded upon Christian principles, that as we get further away from the Lord, um, that it is not good. Even though we're a powerful nation, even though we're declared the greatest nation on the face of the earth, which I believe that we are, and we're strong economically, but as we move further away from the Lord, those things are going to, you know, be affected. And uh, it's like Britain. Britain, the sun, they, remember they used to boast that the sun never set on the empire. And there was great revivals that took place in, in uh, Britain with Spurgeon and Morgan and Knox and churches were full. Now you look at Europe and you look at Great Britain and the churches are empty. 
And what has happened is those churches that were built, Christian churches, are now being filled up with Muslims as, as Islam is, is beginning to spread very quickly. And we are seeing a spiritual decline as well, churches that are closing here in our nation. And especially during COVID, some churches didn't make it, but, but we are seeing the same kind of pattern in our own nation, and it very much concerns us, doesn't it, as we look at it. In verse 8, they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests, so I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit uh, harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. So in other words, it seems like they should have what they want, but they're not satisfied as they pursue sin, as they pursue carnality and, and iniquity and um, you know uh, harlotry and all of that. You're not satisfied. And the people, they would brag about their sin, weren't at shame about their sin. And the priests were motivated by greed, benefiting, uh, or, you know, just on the sins of the people. Unlawful sacrifices, as we see here in verse 10, um, being told that even though you pursue those things, the judgment is going to come and you will never be ultimately blessed or satisfied in a life outside of the Lord. Will you please remember that? And that is a trick of the enemy. Because the enemy comes along and the enemy will dangle the carrot in front of you and say, pursue this worldly pleasure, live your own life, do your own thing, live in your own understanding, do this right in your own eyes, um, and that will bring you satisfaction, fulfillment, and it may temporarily, there's pleasure in sin for a moment, but the end of its way is going to be destruction and emptiness and unfulfillment. And it's going to be bad news. And ultimately, if there's not a repenting and turning to Jesus Christ, that it's going to have eternal consequences as well. And then in verse 11, talking about the idolatry of Israel, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslaved the heart, as we see here. And, and of course, the Bible has a lot to say about you know, alcohol and being drunk um, with alcohol. Don't be drunk with wine, but... Uh, be filled with the Spirit. Paul would write to the Ephesian believers, you know, which is the dissipation. You know, we don't want to be filled our minds with things, and not just only wine or drugs or things like that, but anything that's going to cloud our judgment and it's going to impair our judgment in knowing the difference between that which is good and that which is bad, that which is evil, that which is not evil, that which is, you know, um, holy, you know, that which is unholy, uh, that which is clean, that which is unclean. We want to have, you know, the, uh, be able to judge between right and wrong. And Leviticus chapter 10 teaches us that because it was Aaron's two sons that ran into the Holy of Holies. And the indication there, as you read the whole chapter, is they were drunk with wine. He said, don't do that, Aaron. You're remaining two sons. Don't do that. And we are not to be filled with anything wine or drugs or anything that impairs our ability to be able to pursue holiness. Be filled with the Spirit is what we're to do. A Spirit-filled life is such a tremendous blessing. In verse 12, my people ask counsels from wooden idols, and their staff informs them, uh, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinths. 
because for shade is good. Therefore your daughters commit harlotry and your bribes commit adultery, as we read. Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your bribes when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot. Therefore people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to beth Haven. You swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives. So kind of interesting. And instead of seeking the Lord, they were seeking their idols. And they would sacrifice to their idols. And then they had the high places, the wooden groves that, that you know, there was great immorality that was in the place. And you remember that when Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, broke away from the house of Judah, that he built two places of uh, temple worship there at Dan in the northern part of the country. Some of you, you've traveled with us to Israel, and we've gone to that actual place, to that place where they've excavated, where uh, the, uh, the temple was built to the golden calf. And then also in verse 15, it speaks of Beth-Avon. Um, and Beth-Avon was Bethel initially, where Jacob had that dream and, and angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And, and he called it Bethel, the house of God, uh, because God was here and I did not know it. And there the Lord reaffirmed or recommitted um, that covenant that he had made uh, with Jacob at that time, that, that all of this is your land, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then his sons, the covenant that God had made uh, with Abraham would pass through Jacob. So, you know, here was a place that Beth Athen means the house of vanity, the house of idols. And so we know that um, it spoke of uh, a place that was a place where the house of God has now been a place of idols. And here also what we see here is that Judah is being warned. Judah did not heed the ministry of Isaiah or Jeremiah. Um, Judah was rebuked. We saw that in Jeremiah very clearly, that you should have learned from your sister Israel. Um, you have done worse, because Israel went off into captivity over 100 years uh, before you did because of their idol worship. Why didn't you learn from your sister um, Israel? And, and what you did was worse. And in verse 14, as we read that, as it says, you set the standard here, you know. Um, we can't say to the children, don't do that. You know, don't drink, don't party, don't do these things when we're doing it, when we do it ourselves. So verse 14 here, you know, the daughters were put into um, this um, religious harlotry when they worshiped those idols and stuff. And that was all part of it. It could have been that Gomer, Hosea's wife, was a part of that. Um, and that's why she was in harlotry. But we read in verse 16, For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. So stubborn, they won't listen uh, like a lamb in an open field. Um, it's not going to be good. Uh, they're going to get devoured. In these days, there's wolves, there's lions, you know, in these days. We see that in the Old Testament. Can you imagine a lamb out there in, in you know, the West where there's wolves in Wyoming or even now in Colorado um, out by themselves? They're going to get devoured. And, you know, it's kind of like here in verse 16, the grass is greener on the other side. 
uh, you're grazing in areas and going into areas that you shouldn't and are dangerous. And in verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim is another name uh, for Israel. Uh, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. How heartbroken it is. The rulers, the religious leaders, the civil leaders, they love dishonor. What they're doing is a dishonor to the Lord. And the wind has wrapped up in its wings, her up in her wings, in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices as we finish the chapter here. So they're carried away by every wind of doctrine. Isn't it amazing how people will just accept this new thing that comes blowing you know, into culture and new thoughts and all this, and you think, hey, we've lost our minds on some of the things that people are embracing. But even in the church, even in the church, uh, this wind of doctrine will come along that is not according to God's word, and Christians will get all worked up in it and embrace it, and we're going to, you know, embrace this thing, and they call it a revival, that we just move in the spirit and being drunk in the spirit and howling in the spirit and, and all these crazy things that are out there today, and you can't match it with God's word. And listen, the people that are grounded in God's word they look at it and say, well, that's not according to God's word, to bark and howl in the spirit or, you know, doing healing dance around people and, and all these other things. And they leave it alone and, and they don't get caught up in it. And that's why we need the word of God. Test the spirits is what John writes in his epistle in First John to see if they are of God. Because there's a lot of false prophets that are out there in the world is what he writes. There's a lot of false things that are out there that seem pleasing to the flesh. They sound good. They even seem spiritual, but they're not according to sound doctrine, as Paul would write there again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We need to be wise in testing the spirits. And so, you know, we read this, and then uh, again in verse 17, let him alone. Ephraim has joined the idols. Let him alone. Um, let him alone. Um, you know, we are to be one's that we are to, um, you know, be praying for our children. Um, and as we pray, we pray that, Lord, they may be gone off on their own. They're given over to the world. And I've got to commit them to you. And that's what I get from that verse. That there are times, and this is really hard, that when they go off on their own, when they're pursuing the world, not interested in the Lord, we still have a weapon, and it's not carnal, but it is spiritual, and that is to lift them up in prayer. Keep praying for them. Commit them to the Lord. And so in chapter 5, as we go through this chapter, again, speaking of impending judgment on Israel, and also speaking of Judah, hear this, O priest, take heed, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah. Mizpah um, is over in the east, uh, around Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is a high place, and so here you've been a snare to Mizpah, the, a net spread to Tabor. So Mizpah, uh, the Tabor is like the whole area there of Ephraim. There's a net. You've been ensnared. Uh, as you look at it geographically, the revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel's not hidden from me. For now, 
O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is, devi is defiled. And they do not direct their deeds towards turning to their God. Verse 4, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. So the leaders had snared the people with their wickedness, um, like a net that ensnares a bird. And then they lived in wickedness. They were in rebellion. Um, and they were being religious, though, in their own minds, spiritual in their own minds. But the Lord says, I know, I know. And yet they were not responding to God's rebuke of them. They will not turn back to the Lord. And the Lord is brokenhearted as, as he's, you know, speaking through Hosea. The pride of Israel, in verse 5, testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. So again, we see that the southern kingdom is spoken of. And the southern kingdom would end up going through uh, judgment as well. That's what we spent the last, you know, um, several months going through Jeremiah and Ezekiel speaking specifically to the judgment that would come to Judah beginning in 605 B.C. by the Babylonians. And then in verse 6 we read, With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have forgotten pagan children. Uh, and now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. So what's going on? It seems harsh if you initially read it. Don't know the context. It isn't like the Lord says, I don't want anything to do with you, even though you're trying to seek me. Listen, anyone who truly is seeking the Lord in truth and coming to him, the Lord's going to receive because the invitation is to come. But they were coming to him on, pro, on false pretense in their idol worship, thinking they were being spiritual, not wanting to embrace truth. Um, it wasn't in truth. It was their false worship. And they didn't find him because the Lord will not respond to that which is false. You know, he, he would warn uh, his people, as you go through Isaiah, the foolishness of idol worship. Why are you worshiping those idols? They can't talk. They can't see. They can't walk. They have eyes, ears, noses, you know, hands, but they're no good. You have to put them on a, on a, you know, up on a table or you have to put them on a cart to carry them around. The foolishness of idol worship. The Lord said that, that I'm the true God. Turn to me. There's no room for idols, you know, in the land. And, and I am the God who created heaven and earth. And you see, the Lord desires for us to come to him in truth and humility and submission to him, um, to obey him. But they continue to play the harlot, as we see here. And then in verse 8, blow the ram's horn in Gibeah and trumpet in, in Ramah. Cry aloud in Beth Haven. Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in a day of rebuke among tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. So God had warned them, rebuked them, and they didn't listen. So judgment was going to come to them. And in the princess, verse 10 of Judah, are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Human precept, not godly precept, but human precept. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth in the house of Judah, like rottenness. So notice that by human precepts, it, it will eat up Ephraim. Uh, the Bible warns against human 
philosophy. Um, and we know that Paul would write about that specifically. Let me find it and read it to you. To the church at Colossae, he would say in chapter 2 that in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Speaking of Christ, uh, now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with, with persuasive words. That's verse 4 of chapter 2 of Colossians. And then, as verse 7, being rooted and built up in him, established in faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then beware, verse 8, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Um, the idea of uh, being cheated there in verse 8. Um, somebody who takes you captive. Somebody who plunders you. Don't let anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. So when we adopt the world's precepts and the world's philosophies and traditions of man and all that, over the word of God, we get cheated. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be held captive. We're going to, you know, be plundered spiritually. God's word says that. Don't be cheated. Empty deceit. Traditions of men. Basic principles of the world. Not according to Christ. Because in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you, cure you nor heal you or, or of your wound. Verse 14. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I even I will tear, tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one shall escape. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face and their affliction they will earnestly seek me. So he gives some hope here. And then we continue. He's going to call them in repentance. They refused to turn to God, and, and thus they turned to man for help. They tried to pay off the Assyrians so they wouldn't invade them. You read about that in, in 2 Kings chapter 17, as Hosea, king of Israel, tries to deal with the king of Assyria, but it didn't work. You, you never make a, a peace treaty with you know, an agreement with the enemy, because he's just going to lie to you. you know, let's pay him off. Let's, let's have them not attack us, and it didn't work. You can't make a deal with the enemy. You can't make a deal with the world and win. So Jerob is a symbolic name for Assyria. And Judah also went with, to the Assyrians to help them when you, you go back in Second Kings chapter 16, when Syria and Israel was going to attack Ahaz. Ahaz was mentioned here, Hosea ministering, during the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, who was a terrible king. And so Israel and Syria were going to kill Ahaz, the king of Judah, uh, try to form this alliance with everyone so they can come against the Assyrians. And you can read about in Isaiah chapter 7 uh, that uh, in that chapter that it was the prophet that came to Ahaz and said, this attack's not going to happen, asked for a sign, and Ahaz wouldn't. And so the Lord's going to give you a sign that a, a woman, uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. But Ahaz, what he did is he would make this 
um, I wanted to make sure it is chapter 7. Yes, it is. Uh, that Isaiah sends this message to Ahaz. This attack's not going to happen. Ahaz wasn't right with the Lord. He came up with his own plan. And his plan was he made an agreement with the Assyrians. Hey, attack Syria to the north in Israel. And that's what he did. And then there is the king of Assyria sitting in Damascus, as you read in 2 Kings uh, chapter 16. And Ahaz goes up to see him, sees his idol and says, I like that. I'm going to put it in the temple there in Judah. So the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity again in 722 B.C. and then later the southern kingdom because of their idol worship. We don't look to the world and we don't look to our enemies to guide us and direct us in our spiritual lives. But you turn to your heavenly Father who loves you and that is what God's desire is. Christians, we need to look to the Lord to strengthen our lives. And, and yeah, there's practical things out there in the world that can help us, you know, with certain things. But when I'm talking about our spiritual lives, that we need to turn to the Lord. We need to prioritize the Lord. And, and we need to look to Him because He is everything for us. Truth, to be established in Him, to not be cheated by the world, and, and be cheated by the enemy. Don't make a peace treaty with the enemy because he's just going to rip you off. And uh, he's going to do you in. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's the master deceiver and trying to pull you into being cheated by the world and the things of the world, thinking you're going to be satisfied if you pursue the worldly pleasures, and you're not. That we can be established in truth in the Lord. We can be established in true joy satisfaction, fulfillment, you know, wisdom, strength, it all comes from Him as we look to Him and learn of Him. So, Father, we thank You. We thank You for this time in Your Word. I just pray that, again, that You bless the rest of our week. We thank You so much that we can look at all of Your Word and be benefited from it. Even these books that oftentimes get ignored, but there's a lesson, there's application for us to make. And certainly we saw that tonight. The consequences and repercussions of, of, of just going after the world, trusting in the world, looking to the world for satisfaction. It's not going to happen. Lord, I pray that we would be ones, that we would continue in sound doctrine, to be established in your truth. Lord, to look to you, to be our satisfaction and fulfillment. Because you desire for us to experience the spiritual blessings that we have for you, that come from you. And Lord, that includes joy. That includes just being a th thankful. Knowing that we have a, a hope, a living hope. Uh, that we're forgiven. Uh, that we've been redeemed. Lord, we're so blessed. Even though we're in this difficult world. And we wouldn't look for the world to be our counsel. We wouldn't look for the world to be our hope. And wouldn't be deceived by the enemy. So help us stay the course. To learn of you. To keep our eyes on you to be a godly example to others, to be established in your word and abide in you every day of our lives. So Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together in this lesson. Looking forward to Sunday as we gather, Lord, and, and to gather together and be blessed in every way. I pray that you be with everyone listening right now the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. And hopefully we'll see you on Sunday.